Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Traveling Principles Podcast. I am your host, Joe Clossy, and I'm excited to be back in the seat, back online, um, back to being connected to this adventure that I'm on here. For new listeners out there, please rate and review my podcast after you listen, as I'm looking at it all the time. And I'm looking for listeners and ways to connect to you and your sites or situations if possible. I'm going to bring up one here in a second as my example for future conversations um, as it was pretty fun. Also, if you want to email me or find out more about who I am, go to www.thetravelingprincipal.com or email me at thetravelingprincipal at gmail.com and I'll do what I can uh, to work with you at this time. So let's get into it. <clears throat> Today's episode number 30 on this show, almost 50 overall since August 2019. Um, so we're doing well, minus a pandemic and some hurdles leading up to it. I want to start by addressing an email that I got from a listener who asked about my thoughts on virtual learning. Um, this international listener has all the reason to incorporate virtual learning into their everyday pedagogy due to the cases of COVID-19 in their area and therefore prior to this um, a push to open back up albeit prematurely happened and the aftermath is showing signs of a repeat for the schools as they go back sooner than we do in the US and we'll have to not only sell this model to students, but also convince staff that this option is viable. Virtual learning, I've now seen for five months from two perspectives. Number one, as a principal of a high school, where I knew right away kids don't just learn it because it's on the computer screen. If you take away the humanness as Dr. John Puglisi stated in his ever so eloquent presentation on a panel focusing on the fourth industrial revolution. He said that we can't forget about the humanness of the world we live in while making it bigger, faster, smarter, stronger, etc. What that means in applied to this situation here, different from Dr. P, yet similar nonetheless, when you step back and think about it, same intent without a person able to listen, respond accordingly, and in most cases, we can call that care. When the teacher cares and helps, the student learns and remembers eventually. Without it, you lack proper guidance or support to progress on many levels let alone complete anything. And this isn't to mention even enduring new information into knowledge. So virtual learning without that combination of someone to interact with, to question or guide is just like virtual instruction, not virtual learning. It could be for some and that placates to the specific learning style that lends to successes in that environment and with that platform, right? But for most, 
virtual learning must have elements of teacher interaction, <clears throat> teacher-led scaffolding, teacher office hours, teacher differentiation, teachers modeling, teachers showing how they do it, showing other ways to do it, showing where they found information from or even how they researched what they found. Someone to talk to, someone to listen, someone to help you, the student, dive deeper. If you are a school leader and you will have virtual learning in the fall in any way, shape, or form, you must guide it with the notion that teacher interaction weekly, multiple times per week, must be evident in instructional practice and do not allow virtual learning to replace the humanness because it doesn't for anywhere near the populace of students in an effective nor successful way, right? The second perspective I have of virtual learning is from that of a parent to the teacher that doesn't log in with their class regularly. What are you doing? How can you collect that check and feel good about it? We're in a pandemic and you are basically stealing while at the expense of taxpayers for sure, but also at the expense of the children you didn't teach and now didn't learn from you the skills that they were supposed to. They learned it from their parents, hopefully. My wife and I taught my kids just like any parent out there that made a conscious decision to not work at that point and to teach their kids what they feel that they should be learning. I couldn't sleep at night knowing my son wasn't getting an education at his school at all. It made me work harder to ensure that my own students at my own school were. My daughter showed a tremendously positive difference in her demeanor when her teacher held a Zoom at the start and the middle of all of this. My son's whole day was better when his teacher checked in once every two weeks if we were lucky. Therefore, as a parent, teachers checking in means less time they will have to become an expert at content that they most times are not and then teach it to their kid without making it any worse and more confusing listen I, I went to school for multiple degrees in education and did not know how to teach elementary school at all I found myself in content standards on common core pages researching the first three quarters of documents that I usually scroll right through past to the end where they address the high school ages because elementary ages usually that stuff is at the beginning of these documents so from two perspectives I say this have regular check-ins conducted by teachers perhaps this means start and end of the week perhaps once a day perhaps at scheduled times Maybe they have office hours and students check in with them, or maybe both. But if a student is responsible for online curriculum, who is the teacher attached to that learning plan, and what does learning look like? How can you measure progress in this regard accurately as well?
let's not even go there. But tell me, if a teacher knows now that they will be having online instruction, how can you clearly outline that new policy? How can you measure performance with that lens? And how can you ensure that this is always maintained and revised to maximize learning? Either you're a parent or an educator, or both if you're listening, or my family. Therefore, you'd have to ask yourself, if I'm not checking in as a teacher or a parent, what part am I playing in the child's learning process? If I'm clearly not playing my part, or I'm playing the entire part, this is evident, and should be addressed in some way to ensure sustainability, right? Now that that is over with, let me get into it with you guys here a little. I'm going to perform a wedding ceremony in the remainder of this podcast, okay? I'm going to hereby marry my new school design, the one that I've podcasted about for months and has been outlined, written down, and discussed publicly and in board meetings as well. I'm marrying this with school in the fall. Why? Because it very well may be exactly what we're doing. I'm going to roll out mixed curriculum, time collected by completion, recorded electronically, maybe on ID cards based on a menu of selection that they choose from, and have it be project-based driven. Everything I've been talking about that would revolutionize school, revolutionize learning, seems to also be pretty well aligned to social distancing guidelines as we see them today and in our immediate future. What in Sam heck is going on, I don't know. But that's what's happening. (laughs) So let me explain. We have to stagger in some sort of way in the fall. Everyone will. That's going to be the next case scenario, right? Let's wrap our heads around that and, and make it a new norm. Now, <clears throat> now that this is out of the way, let's talk about what that can look like. Before you can discuss what this can look like, let's lay on the table the obvious new hurdles. Hurdle number one, transportation to and from school. Since the director of transportation at VCOE said to me that you don't social distance on a regular school bus, and they would actually like us to use less buses so other sites can have more, hashtag charter schools in California, hashtag redheaded stepchild, as the two are the same. So I can stagger, but who cares about how they get there and back? The cost is astronomical and would be way more than anyone is currently paying if we Ubered everyone like two in a car. Perhaps if we bought Hertz cars on the cheap since they're folding, we could afford a fleet of drivers. Maybe we can give the car to each family to ensure their attendance. Maybe it's, I don't know, the new one-to-one car per family. (laughs) What better way to get family buy-in. I mean, 
So transportation is huge here. Unless you buy your own and have that flexibility, if you're working with a, a county like I am, expect for the business to outweigh education here completely in this equation. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm toying around with that heart that hurts idea. Jobs for every driver. In this area, we're growing. We, we got some Amazon coming in. In, in a number of ways, we are growing here. So, interesting. But nonetheless, obstacle number one, obstacle number two, scheduling and campus layout, therefore. If I schedule multiple sessions per day, but only allow one grade at a time on campus, or figure out a way, I don't know, that, that, that would cut the population of those on campus by, you know, three-fourths. I'd only have one, one quarter of the population there. If I'm going to have just 12th graders in the morning, let's say twice a week, then those teachers have to be there. If those teachers are there with those kids, what space do they occupy to ensure proper social distancing? When that session is over, do you use new spaces? Are those spaces cleaned? How is that schedule arranged for teachers? If your staff is unionized like mine, what part do they play now in that overall grand scheme of things? Right? Here we are again. Obstacle number three. What does training look like? Which I feel like is a big one. How can you adequately professionally develop staff? When we're on a week-to-week -week world, Nothing is set in stone. All of this is planning and speculation based on predictions that have varied weekly for five months. We have no overarching guidelines. We're being told many different things based on everyone's opinion of whatever sources they expose themselves to. And on top of that, no educator is experienced in pandemics or what to do in these situations, but we're doing one heck of a job. So there's that. And that is definitely something everybody should know. I do feel like educators, I, I was even told this today, are not valued or were not valued in this country like they should have been. And I'm starting to see that change <laughs> now. Obstacle number four, protocols moving forward. No one has said all kids wear a mask or all staff wear gloves, or only 15 on a bus, or anything. We have gotten very little to almost nothing in this regard. How many hand-washing stations per kid? How many on campus at once? What to do in closed schools with regards to HVAC system settings? This seems common knowledge to me and any leader out there. Think about jacking that sucker up completely. Stock up on filters. Have them cleaned. Have technology cleaned. Have the rooms prepared to be cleaned possibly multiple times per day if you're using your school site in this regard. Prepare. Prepare. Prepare based on your own predictions as logical school leaders do. So these four obstacles are sickening. Right? What if a bus company said, hey, let's chop the top and add divides to keep kids safe instead of you can't social distance on a bus, so don't even think about it. I can create spatial divide. I can build separate areas. 
we're getting around this with true project-based learning like the new school was governed by. And this will enable us to only have students on campus for project-based learning. Only hands-on instruction will be implemented on campus. Perhaps CORE will host collaborative office hour settings. Perhaps they will have office hours where this will be the, you know, the reason why students come to school that day. Perhaps students only come when they need to. Perhaps as planned in the new school outline, they come to school when they want. <laughs> they select their path. How to get them there still remains to be an issue. Perhaps we have them build bikes in seventh and eighth grade and the new town, which will be built next to the new school, will have a community which is bike friendly. Maybe kids can get a bike and not need a bus. Maybe because they can get themselves to school every day, that would improve attendance, who knows? But that is not an immediate solution. Buying something to transport is, or leasing with a company somehow, driving, drivers could be, you know, there could be tons of jobs for you more shops because of more vehicles, maybe we only get the fuel efficient ones, I don't know. The new school spoke about menus, so let's go there for a second. If I go onto campus and select from a menu, we're now working on the phase where teachers are front-loading them by planning annual project-based offerings. These offerings are vast, require much research within different subject areas. And based on that, will enable engagement, hands-on learning, scaffolded instruction, which is usually small group or individualized, and is creative and purposeful as well. Staff gather around the pathway of focus and use that lens to drive their project-based learning. Think about this example here. Ninth grade comes in and has the challenge to build a bike. The bike they can keep, it can be different based on the needs and distance to school, but the intent would be for them to use it as a means of transportation. Now, kids come in to learn about how to measure and cut. Before this, they need the math for the measurement. They need a lesson on the material they are working with that bikes are made from. They need to know about transportation altogether because perhaps it's easier for students to take a train one stop and ride a foldable bike or um, you know or something that goes onto their back and they may not you know they may not be that far away then so what about a bike that can be stored somewhere what about a mountain bike because they live near trails a road bike because they live far a cruiser or a hybrid because they're all of these things what about kids come to school knowing they're gonna have something awesome that they made designed, learned about, built, and then used to get back and forth. Maybe only ninth graders need busing then. What about those kids come in, learn about using the tools to make the parts, learning how they work all together and actually working to complete this task. Perhaps kids are building tiny houses. Perhaps they're ready-made or, or, or serve specific purposes. Perhaps we're solving homelessness. Perhaps we're learning to live off grids. Perhaps we're 
building them as offices. Who knows? But the opportunities are endless. Therefore, this is a two-year project that kids come to school to learn how to do and actually do. And all components in doing so are vastly connected to core lending students to explore this at their own pace. Time is captured based on completion. Time satisfies completion as well. This is where credit accumulation comes from. At a time like now, education must be purposeful. Perhaps you can think of it like this. Since we know the world is upside down, we need to redefine and reinvent our new norms, all of us do and are. How about we take advantage of the fact that kids shouldn't have to learn so much pedant information so big businesses can sell new editions of textbooks that are aligned to state assessments that are these publishing companies end up making anyway by not even including them in anything real with regards to benchmarks moving forward. Now that state assessments are out of the way, we can teach. My teachers can collaborate and say, what do kids need to learn? And they may be thinking definitely this and this and this about their content. And I say then, great, keep that stuff. Keep what you think kids should know in order to know other things. Not because that completes the unit. Your units, regardless to subject matter, are outdated. No units. Okay? None. Only these, like, closed lines of arranged lessons that can best prepare the foundation to learn new skills, skills that, when applied, create solutions. Does that make sense? No units. We're talking about addressing the why in high school education here. Why do kids go to school? To prepare them best for a life of their choosing afterwards. To prepare them to be productive citizens in their neighborhoods. To prepare them to live on their own successfully, safely, and happily. The new why is still revolving around this, but it throws out ridiculousness that should never be hindered by and always must deal with annually because that's what we've always had, right? It always has been that way. We always evaluate schools based on their state scores. That's just all we know and hang on to for some reason. And this comes from an educator who could report some years the worst scores and some years the best. They still are a waste. So now that they are gone, let's educate. Let's make kids want to learn and be engaged to learn what they want. Let's give them environments to prosper in and let them go. Why mandate a certain amount to go on specific days when some may not have to? Why mandate that anything from the, new, from the norm as we knew it still? The world is so different. It's changing drastically every day from the way we treat each other 
to the way we teach, to the way we travel, to the amount of crap in the air, to the ability to communicate regularly. Why let anything from prior to prohibit us now? Why not reconfigure, allow choice to drive that instruction? We're now planning to try this in the fall. My staff and I will go and, and, and make a go of this. We're going to allow great flexibility at times. And we're going to change probably weekly, as we keep saying. But to prepare and to plan, that's signs of good leadership, I think. We'll vacation later. Now, we need real change. Folks, I have uh, a special guest coming in one of my next few shows here who will help us stay grounded at a time like now. I have someone also coming on to talk about how they conducted virtual learning in primary years schooling. I have someone coming to talk about learning on the East Coast and inner city schools as well. So we have some exciting things on the table with the Traveling Principal podcast. Um, striking while the iron's hot here, folks. Uh, we are all on like this precipice of figuring out major change. We're under a time crunch. Our budgets are definitely being hacked, and it's not easy. Um, I'd say probably for the next two months, school leaders are really going to be taxed. This is the thick of it. Hopefully, after this summer, into the fall, we'll have a better understanding of the world around us um, if I can help in any way shape or form please reach out um, I'd be more than happy to communicate with you uh, thank you for listening my name is Joe Clossy and please remember to rate and review my podcast for more tune in weekly to www.thetravelingprincipal.com stay safe out there you guys numbers are going up for a reason think about what that means and learn from it like we did last time um, stay safe.